Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, car fans, welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with our engineering co-host, Mr. Mark Groves. Y'all. And Mr. Cor- oh, Hey, where's Corey? Shit. Yeah, he didn't show up this week, so we got Ped. I'm sorry. Mr. Corey. We, we got the fantabulous and brilliant Mr. Ped Watt of Watt Design Photography what? sitting in here with us this evening. Mr. Ped, how you be? I'd be good. I just got back from Monterey. Yeah, and we're going to talk to you about that, too. Very cool Sexy. stuff. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. little toasty today. A little, little toasty. toasty. Uh, we've gotten a nice reprieve from the... Uh, solid summer of Satan's front porch weather we've had uh, <laughs> down into the mid 80s and then today crept back up real close to 90 degrees a little bit warm but it, it's going to rain we're going to have the torrential med- Midwest monsoon season next week where it rains for several days in a row and you'll be able to surf Turkey Creek you know at least uh, it's August and 90? 90 yeah I'll take it I'll take it. Yeah, it's weird. Long. We got to the end of July, end of July. The really scorching hot weather stopped. We've had kind of mild, nice August weather, a little bit of rain here and there. In the news this week, Big Brother is trying to put an end to speeding in New York. Good luck with that. We've got fantastic, startling results out of Monterey this year. Record-setting results. Oh, my God. They did it. Uh, they sold big. They sold way big. And a lot of story about that. And we're going to talk to Pat about all the good things that went on at Monterey. Our special guest this week is filmmaker and off-road racer Amy Lerner. Amy will be here to discuss the documentary she made about off-road racing legend Rod Hall. Hall's iconic 69 Ford Bronco racer. What a studly truck. I want that sucker. <laughs> And Amy's own experience driving the Dakar Classic Rally in a 1982 Porsche 911. Oh, sweet. Stacked up, big Bring knobbies. <laughs> Risky business all the way. Yeah, no Kragers for you, and you're, thinki- <laughs> you're thinking a bachelor party. I, I don't care. They're all the same. It was from the 80s. Those movies are all the same, and I love every one of them. Well, let's get to the news. From Mortar Authority, Big Brother may put an end to speeding in New York. Good luck. Officials in New York are considering a bill that would mandate speed limiters that would be set to the local maximum allowable limit in new vehicles. Yeah, that that's not a, a coastal type of thing, is it? No. Yeah, well, um, all <laughs> I can say is vintage Corvettes, old Mopars, <laughs> suck it. I want a brand, brand new 2023 Crib. <laughs> uh, the system would use GPS and traffic sign recognition technology to determine the speed limit, and the system has been appropriately benign and Orwellian named Active Intelligence Speed Assistance, ISA. For the proles. ISA no go fast. Yeah, you no go fast no <laughs> We hated him, too. Uh, Senate Bill S-9528 was introduced by Manhattan State Senator Brad Hoyleman on August 12th. Good job, Brad. He can suck it, too. And if it's passed, would require any vehicle manufacturer to register in the state of New York to be fitted with an ISA system. Oh, my God. By January 21st, 2024, because you're just too stupid. You are too stupid to drive. Next thing Brad's going to want to say is you can't touch yourself there <laughs> how, how are, um, that says any vehicle registered in the state of new york so how are you going to put that on a 60 corvette uh, they're going to do it they're going to tag it in jersey 
But I mean, realistically, well, they said, not all. Of them. They said any new car. No, it's a. It, it says no, any it manufacturer said, or registered in the state. Well, that's great. Any new car, though, in the first paragraph, they said any new car. I, I'm driving nothing but old crap from now on, and mostly Harleys and Corvettes and old Chevy C10 pickups and something where the muffler might fall off, drop into that cop behind me. Well, you know, if they do this and they have all this GPS crap in here, this is one of the things that I don't do, like with my phone, because uh, I I actually drive almost grandpa-ish, uh, surprisingly enough, because uh, you know you. I talk a big game, but you know, getting over five six miles an hour over the speed limit, I I, I start puckering. Well, well and the, I just don't with that exterior you're driving out there. I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, that, that's a <laughs> sorry. Long I had story. to, had to no, take you had the to kick at your new toy. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's okay. It's not out there. Because uh-huh. some idiot over the weekend decided to replace his uh, clutch master cylinder and slave cylinder. Mm-hmm. Never having done it before, he didn't think about bleeding them first, bench no, bleeding. No. So there's just nothing happening. Clutch? I don't need no stinking clutch. Well, if you run Jesus. into that moron again anytime soon, you ought to tell uh, him, hey, there's all kinds of instructional videos on YouTube. No, there, there are some great instructional videos on how to replace those things, but they didn't before. go through the bench yeah, hell. Yeah, anyway, off. let's go back to New York. Let's hate on them for a minute. Uh, so with, with the uh, electronics that are involved in it, this is one of the reasons why I don't... Um, I, I don't use my phone with uh, insurance mm-hmm. because you know you can you can, they can monitor your speed and you can go oh look I'm a good driver and get points and stuff off yeah, they and all, save money and I there's no they... way in hell's left acre that I'm going to do that I don't, I don't want them following me I don't want any of that and in New York this is what they're going to do with this and that's the way they're going to tell you they don't even have to be out on the highway to uh, to you know blip you with the gun they'll just wait and look at your uh, your records online uh-huh. and another reason. <sighs> All my cars, <laughs> everything I got, you know. I don't know the Porsche. Aside from Rhonda's fine car, and she doesn't speed. She never does. She oh, never nice. does. I, she leaves all that. I she speed. gives boys time to look. Well, Smart I, girl. I speed. I speed enough for both of us. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> my newest car is 19 years old. The next newest car was made during the Johnson administration. <laughs> The next newest car, Kennedy. You starting to see the pattern here? Uh, good old Manhattan. Brad Hoyman, well played it, you. It, it was made when Nehru jackets were still in style. Now, of course, this guy says speeding, speeding ruins lives, so we must take action to prevent it. And New York City is leading by example by implementing new technology to reduce speeds on city fleet vehicles. Yeah, that's, that's Eric Adams, New York City's that's, mayor. That's their new dumbass mayor who was supposed to be smarter than that. Well, you know, let's take a moment on that, though. New York City's leading the way. You can't New go York more than five miles an hour in New York City. Of course they're leading the way. They've never <laughs> seen the speed limit. Uh, you know, all you need to do is put like a big electrical grid on kind of netting over the top of all the streets and let people drive bumper cars. Safe. Done. No, it's Done. not. No, it's not. But I'd do it. Oh, hell yeah. Because I would drive the f- right into everybody. <laughs> everybody. Hey, every vehicle in New York should have a pedals. Every. It, they should all be Flintstone vehicles. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. A buddy of Gone. mine's dad... In the mid to late 80s, had my favorite, favorite solution to combat bad drivers. He said, you are allowed to carry two big bags full of toilet plungers in the backseat of your car. Anytime you see somebody driving like a jackass, you're allowed to drive up and 
Stick one of those suckers right on their window. Get more than three plungers in a week, you get a ticket. <laughs> I, I'd pay to see that happen. That'd be like a Death Race 2000 for I just, toilets. I just love the idea. Of course, I didn't want to do the toilet plunger. I wanted to get a paintball gun. Oh, and boop, 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 boop. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you freeze paintballs, and not only do they sting really bad, they make a hellacious noise when they hit your car. Now, I whined about this. Uh, the bill is currently in committee, which means it's under consideration. It has not passed the New York State Senate or State Assembly. If it Mm-mm. passes both, it would have to be signed into law or vetoed by the governor. Mm-mm. So at least it still has some hurdles to go. And I hope people aren't going to, you know, try to stop speeding violence. How are you going to con- keep cabbies from doing this? Because a cabbie who has an opportunity to stick his foot to the floor will do it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Because do they, or will they just, you know, drive an extra 18 blocks? They act like they're in bumper cars all the time. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) No big metal netting needed. (laughs) Fair enough. So, yeah, I'd like to go ahead and see you get this one done. You're going to have some kind of a riot on your hands. Best of luck to you, buddy. Good luck What's, his, what's his name again? Brad Hoyleman. Brad Hoyleman. Oh, my name is Brad Hoyleman. I, I got a good idea. Let's stop everybody from doing anything illegal ever. I'm going to keep you safe. You are so safe on the road because I'm watching. I'm just going to suck the fun out of everything. Watch me. You can call me Wet Blanket from Haggerty. The Monterey auctions have concluded with a record four hundred seventy million in sales. Four hundred seventy point seven. Let's not forget that point seven. Very important. That's a chunk of change. Monterey auctions have set a new record. Total sales hit or four hundred sixty nine point uh, four hundred sixty nine million, and then we had a, a couple sales after the fact versus the previous high of three hundred ninety four point four eight set in two thousand fifteen. The week put an exclamation point on what has been an unprecedented year for the collector car market and allayed concerns that economic volatility will cool buyers' enthusiasm. It also confirmed that tastes and demographics are changing. The fastest mover in the Haggerty price guide are modern sports cars, those sold exceptionally well. Nearly every analog sports car offered set a new world record price. Younger collectors are transforming the market, and that transition has only accelerated during the pandemic. Monterey also reminded us that this shift won't necessarily be at the expense of older cars and collectors. The biggest sale of the week at $22 million. Small lottery win money, $22 million, was a 1955 Ferrari 410 Sports Spider once campaigned by Carroll Shelby and several pre-war cars, including a 10.345 million 1937 Bugatti Type 57. Jeez, oh, that was the Alante, wasn't it, Ped? Yeah. Oh, God, that was so good looking. Oh, just so, achingly beautiful. So this quick note on the Ferrari 410 before we move on. That is a gorgeous car with amazing history. It sold for five to ten million under auction estimate, though. Yeah. Oh wow. So without uh, the the um, buyers premium and everything, it was expected to make twenty five to thirty million, and it hammered at twenty million. So while that's an impressive number, both it, the Talbos, and the Bugatti were way under auction estimate. Yes, that's true. However. The difference was that these cars largely hewed close to previous sales, 
whereas the newer cars tended to chuck precedent out the window. A good example, Gooding sold a 1 of 12 1961 Jaguar E-Type Series 1 Coupe with a rare outside bonnet latch, a car that ha- that was last at market three years ago. That sold for 632000 God, that's got to be a, some kind of a record for a Series 1. Uh, the sale was less than 1% different from what that car sold for in Monterey in 2019. There's also another consideration we're going to get to here in just a second. With all the talk of online auctions over the past two years, it was refreshing to see live auctions show how the energy of a room will bring prices that online sites can't touch. There's, we've had this conversation a lot. Pat and I have had this conversation a lot. Nothing beats the tactile and olfactory sensation of being there and being able to smell the exhaust or if the gas smells old like varnish or if the inside of the car smells moldy and you you can't do that online there are sensations that you get from being at a live auction that just cannot be beat by far the most people on their feet and the most spirited bidding and most excited group of people all week were in the room for the pixar porsche collaboration on the sally special 911 gts look at the smile on head <laughs> styled after sally carrera from the movie cars the car fetched 3.6 million dollars for charity good on them gooding sold a 2008 ferrari f30 for 412,112 over its high estimate did you see that car i did not go to good english i'm kind of wondering why uh what what was so special about that one that same car sold online sold in an online auction on website bring a trailer two years prior for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. so it net itself a 65 percent gain it's important to remember that the monterey that monterey represents a rather thin slice of the market an unprecedented number of million dollar cars so million dollars and over 112 of them oh my god found new homes here making up roughly three quarters of the total sales it's also worth considering that the record sales total comes amidst a time of high inflation the most recent update to the haggerty market rating released just before the start of the auctions found that although classic cars are appreciating quickly the dollar is depreciating even faster to wit 2015 sales and today's dollars would have amounted to four hundred and ninety million. So there's that. On the whole though, Monterey Car Week put on put on hold jitters about the state of the collector car market and reminded us that a generational shift need not be a zero sum. A new breed of collectors gaining wealth are buying the dream cars of their youth while others continue to buy 60s sports cars, <coughs> pardon me, are pre-war greats for the values at which they have long traded. And no matter the car or the price, the joy of conversing with fellow car enthusiasts at a live event will always reign supreme. And here to speak about everything that went down to Monterey Car Week is good friend of the show and the brilliant mind behind Watt Design for Photography, Mr. Ped Watsky. Golf club. Golf club. Yeah. You guys are if nerds. For, if for nothing more than you... <laughs> hey, I, I asked you to bring me a hat. You brought me a damn hat. I'm thrilled. This is the first time in forever that I haven't been to Monterey. And uh, it felt weird to watch it from afar rather than being in the middle of it. So was it as exciting this year as it is most years? Uh, was there a, a the palpable feel? Kind of like uh, when you and I were there in 2019 and we were... You and I were all ate up 
about that very early Porsche, waiting to see it go. And then they started auctioning it, and nobody could understand the guy's uh, accent. And when he said 13, 13 million, 14 million, 15 million, everybody in the room thought he said 30, 40, 50. And, and, that, oh, and that's the price it was going up to. And he stopped at 70 million when everybody was out of their mind and said, No, that's 17. Boy, talk about sticking a pin in the balloon. Yeah. So th- this year was. Um I will say it was fantastic. Um, I would say the crowds match. So the first year I went to Car Week was that would have been nineteen uh, pre COVID, and we were back to that level of excitement. Okay, cool. Very um, good. So yeah, we, we sold what four hundred seventy million dollars worth of cars. That's it's what they're wor- saying. It's worth noting two hundred thirty nine million of those passed over the block at RM. Alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I could not believe that RM moved that much metal. The the, the cars, had, they had the Schumacher F1. They had the Ferrari we've already talked about. They had Taubo T150 that I would sell Mark into slavedom to <laughs> set in. Wait, I, wait, was that one better than the same, uh, same model, for. different paint that they had at Gooding at Amelia? Yeah, it was perfect. It, it, I would literally, without even blinking, was sell it, Mark into slavery. Was it black to or was in the it, car? Was it black or was it a really deep purple? It was a really deep. I'm going to say it was blue. Really deep blue. Really deep blue. Okay. And you could go swimming in the paint. Like it was astonishing. But I mean, in the same room, in the same room. Sorry, I was uh, in the same room. You had, you know, you had a um, early Bugatti Type 37. No one was paying attention because the lineup in the room was so exceptional that almost everything that they had on the inside showrooms at REM was a unicorn. Looking through the catalog, I did. I I may have had a moment. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the collection was so good, they put the R32 um, GTR race car, legendary race car, outside because they didn't have room. (laughs) So it was – from there to the new uh, Motorlux, uh, it was bigger, it was better. There was more food, more sitting. Um, that event was phenomenal. Um, the, now Motorlux is the new, new version, version of the McCall's, McCall's Jet Center party. Yeah, so uh, McCall's is the traditional um, opening party for the affluent of, of the CW car McCall's. Week. Yeah, yeah, I, so, you, no. totally familiar. No, yeah. no. no. Uh, but now it's passed hands to uh, Haggerty. They've rebranded it. Uh, they expanded the food offering, which was phenomenal. Uh, uh, Broad Arrow opened up their hangar so we could see the Broad Arrow cars, which brought in $55 million in their first year. Um, and that was not an exceptionally deep field. I think like 89 cars or something like that. Yeah, pretty- it, was, it was under 150. I don't remember the exact number. It was really really good intake for the offerings uh, yeah. for the number of offers um that was a lot of fun i got to run across some old clients uh got to meet uh, i never say his name right camillo the guy that designed the 06 ford gt oh uh camillo pardo yep yeah, had a really good conversation back with him with his new gt5 uh 350 uh roadster project mm-hmm. he's doing yeah that, i saw pictures of that that looked really cool that thing is phenomenal did you get to see seth i did not see no, um, I kind of. I didn't get to talk to him. He was kind of swamped. Well, he always is. You know, we never go to one of these things where Seth's just kind of standing there twiddling his thumbs with nothing to do. Yeah, He's always got lots going on. Um, but, yeah, and they did a really good job bringing in some uh, really special. Uh, they brought in uh, Ken Block's Pink Pig. Uh, 
Uh, oh, cool. And then they had the um, 356 that did the Antarctic race with the head its uh, snow treads on. I saw pictures of that one, too. That was very cool. You, you know, I'm not much of a Porsche guy, but I have seen the various uh, Porsches and stuff that have been turned into the 4 buys. Mm-hmm. Dig. Yeah. I dig hard. Well, you'll, you'll get a chance to drool on Amy Lerner about hers here in a little bit. Ah, sweet. Bit. Uh, so were the crowds as big as, as uh, I would, previous? I would say we're back, we were back to a full 2019 crowd. Okay. I was dumb enough or honored enough or whatever adjective set you want to use to go buy a Zox on Broadway. And it was oh, it was a zoo parade again. You couldn't get your own wallet out of your own pocket because there were so many people standing around. Wow! Uh, at one time, they had five F50s on site and four, <laughs> three F40s. Hey, um, I mean, it was just insane. You said you got to see Horatio again. Oh yeah! So for the first time ever, um, I took time and knocked part of my schedule off and went car spotting. <laughs> I happened across. By accident, wink, wink. The Miller Motor Works party, mm-hmm. and um, about dark, he showed up in his um, Hydra BC Roadster prototype, and um, I got a really cool picture of him letting his passenger out, sitting beside a Bugatti um, Sh- uh, Chiron purse sport. And for for the uninitiated, we're talking about Horatio Pagani, the guy who builds the sports car, the, the mastermind behind the car. One could argue the mastermind behind the carbon revolution in the supercar world. Yes. Wow. Um, he is um, a genius he, nonetheless. And he is, and he's kind of humble, and he's kind of fun to talk to, and he's kind of tackled Ted Ped twice at two different events. I, I've been very lucky to catch him in very quiet moments a couple of times. It's been it's been fantastic. I also got to see uh, Christian von uh, Konasek. At the reveal of the new CC eight fifty, is he as tall as he looks? He looks like he'd be six three. He's t- he's shorter than me, so I don't know. Really? He, yeah, he maybe five ten, five eleven. I thought he'd be a um, lot taller. So I, I mean, I haven't ever measured him. I just don't remember him being taller than me. So. I just saw him in like a documentary. He looked like he was really tall. Maybe uh, he, everybody around him was really short. Um, he's very uh, when he presents, he presents very grandly. If that uh, makes I, sense. He fills I'm the sure. space. Yeah. Um, so what's the what's the coolest car you saw in the wild? Oh, in the wild. Oh, you'll make fun of me. And this is a loaded question because there's so much cool crap rolling around out there. There was a. So you're gonna laugh at me? No, I won't. There so was what? a probably second year M3 ran around. It was with a wide body and it was turquoise ish. And it was phenomenal. You could hear it probably a mile and a half away. That's awesome. And among all you know, all the supercars and all the exotics and classics and stuff, it was just this really clean, very well done, very loud, very legal in California build. Three more things. Rapid fire. Most ridiculous thing you saw. Car spotting on Ocean Avenue. Basically, the rule is if your car is worth under, over 100000 the no parking sign does not apply. Mm-hmm. If it's worth under 100000 they will be there in They're 30 gonna, seconds with yeah. a tow truck. <laughs> <laughs> well, who got towed? Oh, all kinds of Hondas and <laughs> Subarus. And, like, literally, there was a guy who was still getting out of his car, and the tow truck was there. Like, oh, I mean, wow, man. And, but literally across the street from him was a 300SL Gullwing. And been sitting there for 30 minutes in front of the same exact sign. Well, nobody's got the sack enough to roll up and tow that. Okay, best thing you ate. At Motorlux, there was a place called The Meadery, uh, one of the places that was doing the food. And they had a 12-hour slow-roasted beef rib and corn nugget thing. And that was phenomenal. 
All right. The last question was going to be, are we going to get a house again next year? But you and I will get into that a little bit later. We've been speaking to motorsports photographer and my magnificent friend, Mr. Ped Watt. You can find all the links for Ped and Watt Design Photography on readthedriven.com. Thanks again for being with us. Coming up next, we have been, we have our special guest this week, filmmaker and accomplished off-road racer Amy Lerner. Amy will be here to discuss the documentary she made about off-road racing legend Rod Hall, Hall's iconic 1969 Ford Bronco racer, and Amy's own experience driving the Dakar Classic Rally in a 1982 Porsche 911. All this and much more is coming up next on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is filmmaker and off-road racer Amy Lerner. Amy made a documentary about off-road racing legend Rod Hall and his iconic 1969 Ford Bronco racer. But more than that, Amy has her own experience to tell us about driving in the Dakar Classic Rally in a 1982 Porsche 911. Wow, that's gutsy. Amy, welcome to Driven Radio. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. When did you realize you were a car person? Oh, gosh, I think I came out of the womb that way. <laughs> I that's a girl I like. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my dad was a collector of antique cars, so any spare moment he had, he was always out tinkering on a Model T, a Model A, you know, something from the 40s, the 30s. The 50s were okay for him. Once we started getting into 60s, those were way too new. So there's tons of photos with me with, like, really long pigtails and my hands stretching up to reach the steering wheel when I was two, three years old. So I was just out hanging around what he was working on, you know, as soon as I could walk. Very cool. How do you make the transition from being around uh, vintage and classic stuff that your dad had to rally racing? How, where, where did that leap occur? It was, it was, I guess you could call it kind of random. I read and had, I grew up in New York and currently live in New Jersey, you know, all pretty close to Manhattan. So it is not a mecca of off-road anything. Um, but I read an article in the New York Times about this thing called the Gazelle Rally in Morocco that was going on. And it was nine days across uh, southern Morocco. You have no electronics. You turn in your cell phone. Nobody can reach you for nine days. And you work off of paper maps from the 60s using a compass, using a ruler, using, you know, pencils and a calculator. And the objective is to get from checkpoint to checkpoint in the shortest possible distance. And there was no prescribed course. So you would have to figure out by what you guessed the terrain was what you knew you could drive and what you thought the car would make it through and plot your course. So that sounded really fun. And, uh, you know, this is this has become now my really old joke, but I was reading the article on my Kindle and I went into my husband in the next room and I'm like, honey, I have my midlife crisis. <laughs> He's like, what? And he read the article and he, uh, you know, super, super supportive and just said, hey, if that's what you want to do, figure it out. And that actually led to um, my very first off-road driving ever, where I was taught by this gray-haired, very unassuming guy named Rod Hall. So you were not entering into races like that at the time. In fact, you've got rather a diverse uh, professional background. Could you touch on some of that for us? 
Yeah, my first career was on Wall Street. Um, I was in equity trading uh, in, you know, listed stocks, NASDAQ stocks, and and did that for about a dozen years until I uh, decided to stay home. And I was fortunate to be able to stay home with two kids, my kids. Um, and, you know, while I was there, I continued doing some trading for myself, did some real estate, uh, dabbled a tiny bit in, in retail, um, and then came into the wonderful world of off-road fun. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 filmmaking it followed that <laughs> so how did you get into the filmmaking where did that come from the filmmaking actually came from the fact that rod hall was a really interesting funny character of a man and uh you know he and i as i said he he gave me my very first off-road racing lesson which was back in 2010 and we stayed in touch, you know, we became friends when I wanted to move from the Gazelle Rally into other events. He really was a mentor to me, and I ran into him in 2015 at the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame awards dinner in Vegas right before SEMA, and we're just chit-chatting, and he's catching up, and he's telling me that, you know, in two years he would be racing what would be his 50th consecutive Baja 1000. And he was... You know, maybe getting a little tired, wasn't sure if he was going to retire, uh, but there were a lot of people that wanted him to go, and he really was looking forward to hitting that record that nobody was going to be able to ever break or even to uh, replicate because, as Rod always liked to say, everybody else graduated. He continued on, you know, doing the Baja 1000 every year, and he was the only person who was at that first race in 1967 and had a shot at having raced those first 50 races. So it just kind of, you know, it, it caught my interest and um, I had heard of his stories over the years and all of these cool tales of the old days and off-road racing doesn't have a lot of, didn't at the time have a lot of sort of history in terms of film about what happened in those early days of that sport. So I had this crazy idea of, you know, weaving the early days of the sport into these two years of racing that Rod was going to be doing, leading up to and finishing with this epic, you know, 50th consecutive Baja 1000. So I, I called him up the next day and I said, hey, Rod, I've got this crazy idea. Uh, how about I make this documentary? And I described what I was thinking. And he said, well, you know, Amy, people have been asking me for years. Can I do a biography? Can I do a book? Will I do a movie? And I always said no. But because you were the one who was asking, I'm going to say yes. Oh, and then and I kind of and I kind of I kind of went, wow, OK, great. Thanks. And hung up the phone, and like did a little cartwheel in my mind and then went, oh, shoot. How do I make the movie? <laughs> hey, hey, Amy, it's OK. We'll we'll let you swear here. <laughs> OK, next time. <laughs> uh, and the name of this documentary. It is called One More Win. Where can we find it? You can find it on many streaming services, including iTunes, Amazon, YouTube. It's also on Vudu and several other spots. Had you made a documentary before? Nope. And, and, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Uh, where do you start? You start with a story. You start with a story or you start with a character and a character that you have a story that you can build around. Um, and I was either lucky or unlucky in the fact that when I had this idea, the clock was ticking. You know, it was 2015. Rod had races scheduled. That 
50th race was in November of 2017. So, do so you, if I wanted the footage to create something, we had to go. I had to get out the door and start filming. So quickly you grab a camera and start following them? So I actually realized that apparently I tell a really good story <laughs> because <laughs> I, I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody and ended up getting in touch with some really, really talented people who in the beginning were working basically for cappuccinos. Um, You know, and then everybody kind of got really captured by Rod and his family and the history and just the kind of guy that he was and the fact that he was such a legendary, inspirational figure to so many people and um, really just, you know, wanted to help the story to take shape. But you're a mom. You've got kids at home. I do. Uh, uh, You had been working from home. So now how do you balance the kiddos and this and the businesses you'd been working from home and it sounds like chaos it was semi-organized chaos (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know as I, i mentioned you know that my husband was super supportive and he was you know he has a full-time job and was willing to, uh, you know, pick up a lot of the stuff that I did on a daily basis as far as what the kids needed. Um, they're not, they weren't tiny. You know, my, right now my daughter just graduated college. My son is a college sophomore. So in 2015, they would have been 13 and 15. Uh, so not yet, you know, mobile on their own, but able to feed themselves. Yeah, and, this know, is. Do your homework and, you know, all that stuff they were, they were pretty able to take care of but it it required a lot of organization and a lot of planning and a lot of schedules everybody got a schedule (laughs) so in these races that uh rod's running is he still driving the 69 bronco or is he driving different equipment what's he doing so the first race that we filmed was the nor mexican 1000 which is a race that runs from ensenada down to um san jose del cabo down the baja peninsula Mm -hmm. and it is a race that started i think about eight years ago now by Mike Perlman and some other folks. And Mike Perlman is the son of Ed Perlman, who was one of the founders of the very first Baja 1000 back in 1967. And they created this event, which is spread out over the course of five days, sort of as a tribute to that event with the target being, let's try to get the vintage race cars out. So the first race that we filmed was in fact that race in Rod's 1969 Baja 1000 winning Ford Bronco. So it was really fun to see that in action. That's a cool car. It's still, it's so cool that it's still being driven. That was awesome. So after filming Rod doing that and being exposed to this, what in the name of God possessed you (laughs) to go run the Dakar Classic? The only thing I could say is it might have been a moment of pandemic-induced madness. It worked out pretty well because it was, um, I would say, somewhere around October 1st of 2020. And I oh, yeah. remembered hearing about this Dakar Classic that they were going to do, which was going to be a regularity rally that ran a course parallel to the main rally for vintage vehicles. And thought at the time, hey, I love old cars. I love off-road. That could be fun. And just sort of put it to the back of my head until I just had a moment in October. And I said, you know what? This would be really amazing. Let me see if I can pull it together. And again, called some people who called some people who called some people and found uh, a woman in France who was in touch with several people who had vehicles that were available. Because I figured if I can get a car that can be in Saudi Arabia in January, 
I can get the rest of it to work because there's always support crews or always people who are willing to come along and help and, you know, pull it all together. And she came up with two rental vehicles and one I could purchase. And the two that were rentals were uh, different Land Rovers Mm -hmm. and then the Porsche. And I said, you know, my Wall Street background said, why would I pay X to rent when I can pay Y and actually own the vehicle? And I know my driving. I know I'm not going to totally trash it. It's not going to be it's not going to be destroyed by the end. Um, and it would be fun. I've never, I always loved Porsches and I never considered having an opportunity to drive one off road, but it worked so, out. Was the 911 already prepped or was it, uh, something that you had to transform? No, it was, it was prepped because I mentioned October 1st because the registrations closed October 15th. Okay. <laughs> so okay. There was really a very small window to be able to go. And then. The vehicles actually got on a sh- all get on the same boat in Marseille in the beginning of December to go to Saudi Arabia. So you, there was really, you know, 10 weeks or less to get a vehicle ready to go. And this Porsche was a car that had been prepped and built specifically to run cross-country rallies and had rallied and ended up on the podium a couple of times at different events in Morocco with some some, you know, talented drivers behind the wheel. And aside from the prep, it was... It was just a 92 911SC underneath, wasn't it? 82, yeah. 82, 82. I'm sorry, 82. Yeah, yep. I'm looking at the floorboard in the thing. Did you completely replace that with a, a different type of, like, aluminum sheeting or or something? Because it yeah, looks like it this was, woven. It was, yeah, it was, um, it was done to be, re- so it was reinforced because a lot of the pain that happens to cars off-road is from things hitting underneath you get rocks you go over and things bounce up and you know that can cause you some issues so you want everything underneath the vehicle to be as strong as possible all right so you see this the first part of october my mid-october you've got the ball rolling you find a car you find uh, how did you find sarah was she somebody you knew before Yes, Sarah is a friend of mine who is an architect based in barcelona and she is a sailor and she was not my first choice for going to Dakar. <laughs> I spoke with actually my sister, who I've raced with uh, at a bunch of different types of, of rallies, and she was not able to go. So I thought, okay, great. I've got about a week to figure somebody out. And, you know, I've never done this type of event before. I don't know how it's going to go, but it's going to be, no matter what it is, it's going to be epic, and I want it to be fun. So I knew that being an architect and being a sailor, she would have the right mindset and be able to handle all of the mental strain that's required to co-drive a regularity rally. So I sent her an email and she knew a little bit about my rallying, but is not a car person and said, Hey, do you want to come to the Dakar rally with me and be my co-pilot? And I had barely hit send on the email and my phone rings and she said, I don't know what that really means, but yes. <laughs> so, we both brought a crash course in what a regularity rally is. Um, you know, there's a lot of learning on the ground, but she ended up, uh, she's completely addicted now and keeps like, hey, are we doing another rally? When's the next rally? Hi, Amy, when's the rally? <laughs> so, but for- she's great. Yeah, she really, really took to it and did a phenomenal job. For the uninitiated. How does something like the Dakar Classic differ from other types of racing or just other types of rallying? Normally, racing rally is speed, and you just want to get from the start to the finish as quick as possible. 
in a regularity rally, you want to get from the start to the finish in a very specific amount of time or as close to that amount of time as possible. And it's not as simple as starting at 2 o'clock and knowing you need to end at 3.30. So you just drive as fast as you can to the end and you get there at, you know, 2.45 and you wait until 3, 3.30 shows up and then you roll across the line. There are checkpoints along the way and each checkpoint, the distance from one checkpoint to another is given to you in both time and the expected average speed. So your goal is to be as precise as you can on those average speeds so that your time from A to B ends up being exactly what it should be. So it's very, very technical and the speeds changed over a course of a 45 kilometer section. You know, you could have 22 speed changes. So it's really um, a lot of mental focus and the terrain is also very much matched to the speed. So if you have a section that's 40 kilometers or 25 kilometers even, it's crap, it's rocks and it's ruts and you've got to go that speed so that you don't break your car. And then you'll get some faster sections which will be like nice sandy tracks. So it's really, it was a great variety of terrain and a lot harder than I expected it to be. What's the most challenging part of having to change the speed? Or what's just the most challenging part of it? The precision and the fact that you can't recover. Oh. If you are behind, we had one day where um, we ended up running out of gas because one thing that I learned was that in order to be precise, you had to slow down. If you had to slow down for some terrain, and it put you behind on your time, you wanna get back on schedule as quickly as possible. So you have to be a little heavy on the throttle. And that was what gave us the ability to be precise, but on the longer sections, the Porsche is thirsty. <laughs> and even though we had a 130 liter fuel cell in it, um, we ran out of gas like a kilometer before a finish line one day. Oh, and some no. nice local folks came over and filled us up with gas, but by that point we were, you know, a half an hour late. And it's not like a speed rally where if you're behind, you just go faster and faster and faster to catch up and, and recover that loss. Those seconds are done and you can't ever recover that. So <sighs> the challenge is really no mistakes. Oh, that's gotta be aggravating. Yeah, it was tough. Was so we were doing really well before that. that beautiful Rothman's livery 911SC uh, wound up going through the Bonhams Monaco sale in May of this year, and uh, sold for a pretty healthy price for <laughs> compared to any normal SC. Were you sad to see it go? Yeah, it's. Uh you know, some somebody asked me what's your favorite car, and I just said yes. <laughs> like I would keep all of them, but it's, it's it's not realistic. And I feel like after two years at the Dakar Classic, and after that day that I mentioned that we ran out of gas, Sarah and I both decided, you know, okay, we're out of the contention for the podium overall. What can we do? And we decided we were just going to try to do as well as we could for the time that was left. And we actually ended up winning a stage, which means that we were the best performing team out of the 120 teams on for an entire day, which is a big accomplishment and one that I think maybe four women or six women across the history of the entire Dakar rally have ever done. So we were really proud of that. So we had that, you know, significant accomplishment moment. So I kind of, I'm ready for something different. And as much as that car was amazing and I would love to have it sitting in my garage, realistically, I can't drive it 
around, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It lives in not Belgium. Gonna, so I not going to wait for snow in Jersey to go rip around. Would actually, that would be pretty amazing. That would be pretty amazing. But the car itself, I mean, it came from Belgium and it has stayed at it stayed at the shop in Belgium at my mechanic shop. So I didn't even really see it. And then bringing it to the U.S., I could have imported it, but that's a whole other issue. And mm. then what do I do with it once it's here? So as sad as I was to see it go, it was the moment. What kind of racing do you want to try next? What do you want to go do? I'm actually working on arranging to go to the uh, Rally Maroc, which is put on by ASO, the same organization that runs the Dakar Rally in Morocco in October. And I'm discussing competing in a T3 car, which is a lightweight prototype vehicle. So it'll be back to speed rallies. They look like UTVs. Very cool. Side by sides. But they are sometimes based off of a production side-by-side but usually more of a like a completely custom lightweight vehicle so they're under a thousand pounds and is that a a single driver or a driver and co-pilot driver and co-pilot yep two seats very cool nice now this is this is our favorite question and we ask everybody (laughs) what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car oof uh Okay, here's a really dumb one. It, I don't know if it was the dumbest, but it was probably the most recent. Uh, <laughs> during one of the days of Dakar, we had finished a section in a dry riverbed, which was full of soft, soft sand. And if you know anything about driving two-wheel drive vehicles in the dirt, it's all about your momentum. Yes. And that was something that I figured out this year, finally, and <laughs> was able to just fly down the riverbed past stuck Toyotas, stuck Land Rovers, stuck Land Cruisers, and we get to the end where we have to drive out. And the spot you drive out um, would have been after a tree, and I went out before a tree. So I ended up coming up something that was a little steep and clonking the side of the wheel, which popped the tire off the rim. Oh, so no. We were fine, you know, and it was actually at that point, it was not in a competitive section. It was in transit section. So if it was going to happen, that was a good time. So that was, you know, not this, not the my best move ever, but okay. But then when we went to change the tire, I was very flustered and I kept thinking I was putting on the parking brake, which required pressing really hard on the brake and flicking up a little, a little uh, lever. And we'd go to jack the car up and it would roll off. <laughs> Got in, did it again. Roll up. Call the mechanic. Arthur, Arthur, it's not working. What do we do? What do we do? He's like, get in the car, push the brake all the way down, push, you know, flip the lever up. And finally, after like five or six times, I realized that I was pressing really hard on the clutch. (laughs) (laughs) Not the brake. And I just, you know, I mean, you just... You just get so caught up and so in the moment that if you once you take a breath and you look and you think, okay, why isn't this working? I need to just step back and evaluate. And I realized that I was not pushing the right pedal Uh, (laughs) repeatedly. Probably not the first or last person. Oh no. In in the moment, there are so many things that happen that you think about afterwards and you think, wow, how did how did that occur? But, (laughs) you know, you learn from them and you realize when you're in that situation again and hopefully we're never in that situation. But if you're in that situation again, it sticks with you. So, yeah, done. Learned. (laughs) We've been speaking with filmmaker, off-road racer and all around badass Amy Lerner. (laughs) You can find all the social media links for Amy on readthedriven.com. Amy, thanks again so much for being with us. Thank you, guys.
thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for, well, not Corey, for Pedwatt of Watt Design Photography and Mr. Mark Groves. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Thank you.